Hello, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 166 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of the Goldman Sachs FCPA settlement for nearly $3 billion. Welcome, everyone. Hope you're doing well, staying safe and healthy. Uh, don't forget the elections coming up. Vote, and uh, it's a solemn responsibility, and uh, we're coming up fast on the election day. But uh, obviously, there's lots of early uh, voting options, so please take advantage of them and vote. Well, I thought we'd turn to uh, the big headline, uh, the largest USA uh, FCPA settlement for nearly $3 billion. Uh, Before we do that, I want to hear a word from our new sponsor, Blue Umbrella. How are you managing your third-party compliance program? Is your technology vastly assisting you or getting in your way? Blue Umbrella, in concert with some of the largest, most sophisticated compliance programs in the world, has devised a user-friendly, customizable platform that automates tasks and seamlessly integrates with adjacent enterprise systems. Blue Umbrella has employed advanced technology, along with a healthy dose of common sense, to make sure that compliance professionals using status are able to focus on managing issues that arise monitoring the health of their program, and proactively anticipating risks as a business partner. Curious? Contact us at blueumbrella.com for a quick demo. Well, we're on to the uh, Goldman Sachs case, and what an interesting case this is. Um, And obviously, there's been a lot of public uh, writing about it, uh, public disclosures about it. Uh, But the Justice Department finally closed out its investigation of the massive bribery scheme involving Malaysia's 1MDB fund. And the case now sits atop uh, the FCPA history books as the largest USA settlement based on its payment to DOJ and related U.S. agencies, far eclipsing Ericsson, which was the largest up till then of uh, $1 billion from uh, 2019. So Goldman Sachs entered into a three-year deferred prosecution agreement with the filing of a criminal information, charging them with the conspiracy to violate the anti-bribery provisions of the FCPA. At the same time, Goldman Sachs, uh, Malaysia's subsidiary, uh, pled guilty to conspiracy to violate the FCPA. Last year, Tim Leisner, the former Goldman Sachs Southeast Asia chairman, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to money laundering and to violate the FCPA. Roger uh, Ng, uh, N-G is how you spell his name, former um, managing director of Goldman and head of investment banking in Malaysia, was charged by indictment with conspiracy to launder money and to violate the FCPA. Ning was uh, extradited from Malaysia to the United States and is scheduled uh, for trial now in March 2021. At the center of the vast uh, scheme was J-Lo, and I don't mean uh, Lopez, uh, I mean uh, J-Lo, the financier, who has been uh, indicted and charged with the conspiracy to commit uh, money laundering and to violate the FCPA. Uh, J-Lo has not been apprehended uh, and is uh, obviously a fugitive. Along with these uh, prosecutions, the Justice Department has been aggressively seeking asset recovery uh, of assets associated with and traceable to the money laundering and bribery scheme. DOJ has recovered over $1 billion uh, in assets so far. 
So Goldman Sachs participated in a vast international conspiracy scheme over a five-year period in which they paid $1.6 billion in bribes to high-level government officials in Malaysia and Abu Dhabi, uh, the, Emirates of, uh, Abu Dhabi, the Emirate of Abu Dhabi, uh, in order to obtain lucrative underwriting contracts worth approximately $6.5 billion in three bond deals for 1MDB, which is the sovereign wealth fund for, or investment fund from uh, Malaysia. And Goldman itself earned over $600 million in fees. Uh, the 1MDB uh, fund was established in Mal- Malaysia to drive strategic initiatives for the long-term economic development of Malaysia. And Goldman diverted at least $1 billion of the fund uh, to pay bribes. So $1 billion of the $6.5 billion that they raised, nearly 20% of it, they basically diverted for paying bribes and for personal enrichment. Between 2009 and 2014, Goldman executed the scheme through the activities of Leisner, Ning, Lowe, and a former executive in Asia who hasn't been disclosed. The scheme involved massive bribery payments to uh, government officials in Malaysia and Abu Dhabi in exchange for Goldman's lead role in advising on energy acquisitions as an underwriter of three significant bond offerings, totaling $6.5 billion, and a potential role in an initial public offering for 1MDB's energy assets. Leisner, Ning, and Lowe retained a portion of the misappropriated funds for themselves and other co-conspirators. Lowe was the key intermediary here with influence and contacts, and uh, through his help, Goldman was able to secure these lead underwriting roles. And there were three specific projects between uh, um, bond offerings uh, between 2012 and 2013, known internally as Project Magnolia, Project Maximus, and Project Catalyze. Now, as part of the settlement, Goldman admitted to control and oversight failures in the review and ultimate approval of various corrupt transactions. And this is the interesting part of the case in terms of, look, you get a a view into the internal review processes and how they were circumvented uh, and weaknesses in the controls internally for Goldman. Goldman was on notice uh, from the beginning, uh, and they had identified Lowe as a high-risk intermediary. And uh, they were on notice that any transaction involving Lowe created a significant risk risk of corruption. And even while they had concerns that Lowe was involved in this transaction, Goldman control officers failed to take reasonable steps to investigate and confirm the absence of corruption risks. And in fact, what really was going on was Goldman's failure uh, reflected the old uh, trade-off. They wanted to earn the $600 million in fees and uh, they were willing to take the risk. Uh, Under the terms of the settlement, Goldman will now pay a penalty and disgorgement of just over $2.9 billion. Uh, They also reached parallel resolutions with foreign enforcement agencies in the United Kingdom, Singapore, Malaysia, and Hong Kong, along with domestic U.S. agencies, including the Securities and Exchange Commission, which was a $606 million in disgorgement settlement and penalty of $400 million, the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System, $154 million. The New York State Department of Financial Services, $150 million. D- DOJ agreed to credit $1.6 billion in payments with respect to these parallel resolutions in terms of crediting it towards the $2.9 billion that they were charging. 
under the FCPA corporate enforcement policy, the Justice Department noted that uh, Goldman did not voluntarily disclose the conduct to the Justice Department. The bribery conduct was serious and pervasive and involved high-level employees who ignored significant red flags and numerous Goldman subsidiaries. The amount of the bribes totaled $1.6 billion and were made to 11 different foreign officials, including high-ranking officials of the Malaysian government. Goldman received partial credit for its cooperation with DOJ's investigation, but did not receive full credit because it significantly delayed producing uh, recorded phone calls in which Goldman's bankers, executives, and control functions discussed bribery and misconduct relating to the bribery scheme. DOJ did not require Goldman to retain an independent corporate compliance monitor, and this is perhaps the most troubling aspect of this. Despite the pervasive scheme, the involvement of high-level officials, the failure of Goldman senior executives to delay and investigate significant red flags, and the unethical culture evident by uh, Goldman's commitment to a vast corruption scheme. Based on all of these factors, the Justice Department only gave Goldman a 10% reduction off the bottom of the sentencing fine range. Interestingly, and perhaps to throw a bone to those questioning Goldman's senior executive involvement, Goldman announced the same day that it would be seeking bonus clawbacks and pay cuts to current and former executives, including former CEO Lloyd Blankfin. Uh, Goldman's uh, board of directors issued a statement entitled uh, An Institutional Failure. So, like I said, Goldman Sachs now sits atop all the charts with the largest U.S. FCPA bribery penalty. Um, There is a reason that Goldman earned this distinction, and the earned is in quotes. The bribery scheme uh, and the controls and compliance failures are just repugnant and pervasive. Uh, the scheme was built on stealing funds from a, from a sovereign wealth fund that was intended to benefit the Malaysian public. This was a scheme that truly can be characterized as robbing from the public for the benefit of a small group of corrupt business people and, and government officials. Uh, Goldman's conduct is a horrible example of the dangers of cost and corruption to developing countries such as Malaysia. Like I said, uh, J-Lo was the, the uh, mastermind intermediary who authorized and arranged the bribes and kickbacks to government officials in Malaysia and the Emirate of Abu Dhabi uh, in order to secure these valuable business uh, and earned himself uh, quite a hefty sum of money uh, and laundered it throughout the world. J-Lo, uh, a Malaysian national, had close ties with Malaysian government officials, including Malaysian's then-president Najib Razik, and was the key intermediary with, with, with uh, President Razik. Uh, he had a reputation for corruption loaded and prior involvement in bribery. Leslie Leisner and, Neg, uh, and Ng uh, coordinated efforts to conceal Lowe's involvement in the transactions that he arranged for uh, Goldman. Like I said, they, they diverted approximately $6.5 billion in capital that the 1MDB raised uh, through three bond offerings, uh, and Goldman Sachs earned $600 million in the fees. Goldman had uh, an anti-corruption policy and related procedures that prohibited improper payments to government officials. Uh, Goldman's compliance function, called the Compliance Group, and its business intelligence group, Intelligence Group, were responsible for enforcing Goldman's anti-corruption policy and procedures. 
Now, to ensure compliance with the policies uh, and financial controls, Goldman maintained a committee review process uh, at which compliance and intelligence group representatives uh, attended committee meetings and participated in the review process. This was called the Goldman's Capital Committee, which was responsible for the review of Goldman's role in the 1MDB bond offerings. Prior to 2012 and 2013 with the 1MDB um, situa- uh, offerings, uh, Leisner and Ng uh, attempted on three occasions between 2009 and 2011 to onboard JLo as a Goldman conduct client. Leisner and Ng viewed JLo as a potential source of business from 1MDB and others. Goldman's compliance and intelligence group rejected the attempts to onboard Lowe as a client based in part on Lowe's unexplained source of wealth. In 2011, for example, Leisner and Ng attempted to address, uh, to advise a business controlled by Lowe. Again, the intelligence group rejected the deal because of Lowe's shady reputation and unexplained source of wealth. Now, despite the rejection of Lowe as a client and related companies, Leisner and Ng and another senior executive continued to deal with uh, JLo primarily an attempt to secure the the lucrative business deals in Malaysia and Abu Dhabi. So now then when 2012 and 13 came up, they already had a history with JLo. Goldman Sachs already knew about JLo and uh, Leisner and Ng needed JLo to secure three large debt financings, knowing that Lowe was playing a central role in these transactions, acting as an intermediary between Goldman, 1MDB, and Malaysian and Abu Dhabi officials. To secure these deals, they agreed to pay bribes and kickbacks to several government officials by stealing proceeds from the three bond offerings. Leisner, Lowe, and others stole more than $2.7 billion to distribute as bribes and kickbacks to government officials, in Malaysia and Abu Dhabi, including Najib Razik, Malaysia's president, uh, and to the participants themselves. Project Magnolia was the first one, and it was a proposal for $1.75 billion debt financing to acquire Tanjung Energy Holdings. In meetings among Goldman executives, 1MDB officials and Lowe, uh, the individuals understood that a financial guarantee would be needed from the, for the bond issuance and agreed on arranging, arranging a guarantee from Abu Dhabi's Middle Eastern Sovereign Wealth Fund. Lowe eventually explained to Leisner and Ng and another employee that to secure the deal and the guarantee, they would have to pay bribes to government officials. Lowe was uh, the key intermediary in arranging this transaction, which ultimately closed in May 2012. Prior to the closing, Leisner and other members of the deal team participated in a Goldman Capital uh, Committee meetings of executives from around the world. Leisner was asked specifically if Lowe was involved in the project, and Leisner lied, claiming that Lowe was not involved. Uh, Despite the fact that the committee knew that uh, Lowe had attended some meetings with Leisner uh, with foreign officials to discuss the transaction, uh, they nonetheless failed to follow up or ask for any corroboration. Leisner, Ning, and Lowe diverted some of the bond proceeds into bank accounts of shell companies that they beneficially owned and controlled. Leisner, Ning, and Lowe retained some of the proceeds for their personal benefit and distributed them to government officials in Malaysia and Abu Dhabi. 
The next project was Project Maximus, which was a proposal to raise $1.7 billion in capital for 1MDB to purchase Genting Baron, a Malaysia power generation company. The financing was slightly different than Project Magnolia, with an indirect guarantee from Abu Dhabi. Again, Leisner and Ning knew of Lowe's involvement and that bribes and kickbacks would be paid similar to that as in Project Magnolia. Project Catalyze was the third one, was a proposal to raise over $3 billion through a bond issuance to fund 1MDB's portion of a joint venture with an investment firm. Leisner and Ning knew of Lowe's involvement and that bribes and kickbacks would be paid similar to that as in the prior two projects. After these three bond deals, Goldman pursued other deals with Lowe, despite Goldman's rejection of J. Lowe as an intermediary or client, including an advisory role to a client, and Lowe's acquisition of an oil company. These opportunities involved officials who had received bribes as part of the bond offering projects. Again, Leisner and Ning failed to disclose Lowe's involvement in these opportunities when reviewed by Goldman's business intelligence function. One of the proposed transactions was ultimately approved and closed, and Goldman earned $10 million in, uh, in uh, proceeds. The Justice Department and the SEC specifically cited the failure of Goldman's control functions to follow up on their suspicion that Lowe was involved in the bond offerings and other transactions. Instead, as noted, the Goldman committees and personnel simply asked Leisner and the deal team whether Lowe was involved and accepted Leisner's statement without requiring documentation to confirm or following up on a variety of specific requirements. DOJ collected and described internal communications among Goldman senior executives and the control functions who complained about the disparity between deal review standards applied to big deals and the latitude given to certain senior executives such as Leisner. Since the 1MDB scandal, Goldman has doubled its compliance department and adopted enhancements to empower compliance to play a greater role in deal reviews. Well, let's turn now to the lessons learned from this uh, fiasco. And uh, it truly is a real fiasco where the harm to the uh, Malaysian public is just, uh, you know, incredible in this situation. And it is a striking example to me of, of the dangers and the purpose of the FCPA, which was to prevent uh, such uh, foreign bribery schemes. It would be a serious mistake uh, to characterize or describe the Goldman corruption scheme as the result of a few bad actors. Instead, Goldman suffered this scandal because of a culture and a set of controls that was based on the primacy of business and the absence of checks on business to ensure proper review and mitigation of risks. The lessons learned from this massive case are significant and should be studied by compliance and business leaders. First, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. Goldman suffered from a significant incongruity, one that is present in many companies. On the one hand, Goldman leaders adopted statements, policies, procedures, codes of conduct, and other compliance-related statements evidencing their commitment to compliance. Indeed, Goldman has an anti-corruption compliance policy and set of procedures. Goldman had two significant control functions, compliance and business intelligence. On its face, Goldman appeared to maintain and promote an ethics and compliance culture. But, like everything else in life, looks can be deceiving. In practice, however, Goldman's culture was anything but committed to compliance. 
Even senior executives in moments of candor and recorded conversations noted the disconnect. Business deals that involved large fees were not held accountable for compliance. Certain senior executives, like Leisner, would be able to skirt compliance requirements and controls. The bottom line was the bottom line in Goldman. Money ruled, compliance faded in the background. When a lucrative business deal was arranged, compliance either rolled over, did not follow up, or simply just let the deal go through without adhering to Goldman written policies and controls. In the end, this deficiency reflected a weak corporate culture of compliance. Number two, ineffective and ill-designed controls. If a company is committed to its culture of ethics and compliance, it should be fairly straightforward to design and implement controls. In the case of Goldman, financial controls included review committees. Large global conference calls were conducted by the review committee to, to go over paperwork and presentations. While facially attractive, such controls in practice were deficient in several respects. As noted by the government, compliance and business intelligence played a limited role in these meetings. As part of its remediation, compliance and business intelligence respective roles are going to be expanded going forward. But why was this never done before? Why was an assessment or audit never conducted to identify this fundamental gap in its compliance program, its controls, and its culture? Even more disconcerting, as described by the government, the Capital Committee's review and ultimate approval was conditioned on follow-up items for confirmation. This follow-up procedure, however, was not documented nor adhered to as a prerequisite to moving forward with the proposed transaction. Furthermore, the Capital Committee review process omitted documentation requirements and failed to ensure adequate audits and monitoring of transactions. Third, compliance empowerment. As reflected in the government's outline of relevant facts, the compliance department did not have adequate resources or authority within the business to carry out its responsibilities. Goldman's remediation effort included a doubling of its compliance staff and increased participation on relevant business committees. Goldman is a company in size and stature, like many other large financial companies that should have addressed these issues before the current scandal. There is simply no excuse for a company with resources and responsibilities that demand elevation of the compliance function and empowerment of the function within the business so that it can exercise appropriate authority, has line of sight across the organization, and has a meaningful seat at the C-suite table to play a valuable role as business partner. Due diligence, enforcement, and accountability. Goldman's compliance function properly identified J.Lo as a significant risk and that Goldman should have no involvement with J.Lo. Nonetheless, despite the rejection of J.Lo on three occasions as a potential client or business partner or advisor, Leisner and Ng were not dissuaded from dealing with J.Lo. Why? Compliance appeared to have no credibility. Goldman's business was not held accountable, nor were there any controls in place to require certification or representations or even documentation that the Goldman business executives terminated dealings with J.Lo. Finally, absence of financial oversight. The facts outline a campaign of greed involving hundreds of millions of dollars. Leisner, Ning, and, other, and another Goldman employee in Lowe personally benefited by stealing in the hundreds of millions of dollars resulting in transfers among shell companies, purchases of real estate and art, investments in movie projects, and other attempts made to launder bribery proceeds. 
in reviewing these transactions, the question arises, where were the financial controls? Where were the audits to ensure that the proceeds of the large bond offerings were used for legitimate purposes and not diverted for bribery or personal gain? There's little explanation for this failure in the factual statements from DOJ and the SEC, and by definition, such a defective accounting underscores the weakness in basic financial controls to protect against theft. Well, those are my thoughts on a big case. Uh, it really is uh, striking how a company in a leadership role in the financial industry uh, could have a set of controls and a set of uh, requirements and compliance uh, policies and procedures that in practice were easily circumvented, ignored in favor of the uh, culture of business. And uh, this is a striking example and warning to all of us who participate and practice in the uh, compliance field about the importance of an ethical culture and uh, the commitment to it by senior leadership. Thanks again, everybody. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy. Um, Please remember to vote, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. Thank you.